Do you own firearms? Did you know there's an easy way for you to let everyone around you quickly see whether your firearm is loaded or unloaded? Well, meet muzzlestick, barrel, and chamber flags. Muzzlestick, chamber, and barrel flags offer a quick way for anyone, whether they handle firearms or not, to quickly see the loaded or unloaded status of a firearm. And that could save lives. Are you one of the nearly 80% of firearms owners that keep a loaded gun out of the safe for personal protection, taking an extra safety precaution by using muzzle sticks, big, bright barrel and chamber flags will let everyone around your firearm know if it is loaded or unloaded. Muzzle stick does not recommend keeping a loaded firearm outside of a gun safe, but the reality is that some firearm owners do. Clearly marking a gun status communicates to others around that may or may not have firearm handling experience that it is something that they would not want to handle. Muzzle stick is not intended to replace the rules of firearm safety. However, their chamber and barrel flags give firearms rapid and clear identification, which could result in saved lives. It's time for you to do everything you can to be a safe and responsible firearms owners. Head over to muzzlestick.com. That's M-U-Z-L-S-T-I-K.com today to place your order. After all, we all only have but one life. Hello and welcome to the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Victor is the Martin and Neely Anderson Senior Fellow in Military History and Classics at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. For all of those who are new to the podcast, Victor is also an author, a classicist. He's a military historian and a political cultural commentator. His new book is The End of Everything about civilizations that have been crushed and and Victor we agreed is quite often due to warfare. Yes. Well, no. No, 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 no. no. Crush you- is a good word though. <laughs> it, actually the destruction of an entire civilization and by that I mean the demography, the physical infrastructure, the language, the culture so it vanishes. Got it. It's very rare in history. Yeah. It sure so is. my point is it, the fate of the Aztecs or the Carthaginians, to take two examples of the four in the book, uh, are rare. And what, what caused that to happen? And are those centrifugal forces still here? Could you see the disappearance of the Ukrainians or the Israelis or the Armenians or the Greeks, any small vulnerable state that's juxtaposed to powerful enemies, especially in the age of bioweapons and artificial intelligence, nuclear weapons, etc.? Yeah. Okay, so we are going to, uh, we have lots of stories. This is our Friday news roundup. So we're going to start with a few thoughts on the Iowa caucus coming up on Monday. And then we'll be talking about Fannie Willis. So stay with us and we'll be right back. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back. Um, I would like to, to also remind and invite people who are new to the podcast and to Victor's work to come join him at his website, victorhanson.com. You can get a free subscription and get onto our newsletter and then all the free things that are on the website, and you'll get updates on those. But you can also join to read all the VDH Ultra material, and that material comes out three times a week, and it's on contemporary stuff, on farming issues, on military history, all sorts of different things, and that is with a paid subscription for $5 a month or $50 a year. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. So, Victor, did you have any thoughts initially about the Iowa caucus? And I thought maybe the debate, too, between um, Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis, did, do you think that moved any 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 voters in either way on in that case well i think they were in a hopeless situation in the sense that they had to knock one of them had to knock the other one off to be the only viable because the strategy is what the only viable candidate to trump has to conglomerate or aggregate all of the other people and that was the unicorn that everybody was chasing in 2016. Remember, they said, Donald Trump only has 48% if we all get to get, but nobody, and I used that metaphor last time about the, the mouse and the cat and the bell. Nobody wants to bell the cat, take the risk. So that was the point. And they, so what I'm getting at is that predicated the tenor of the debate. They had to go at each other. So if their first 15 minutes was slinging mud at each other, rather than the, the common enemy opponent is Joe Biden, and to a lesser degree for them, it's Donald Trump. So most of that debate was between the second and third candidate, whomever is which, which is which, depending on the state. But Donald Trump got a freebie, and so did Joe Biden. So Donald Trump then, in Trumpian style, had his fox, <laughs> his fox um, town, town hall, hall yeah. town council, and... Donald Trump thought, and I'm just, I'm just surmising, but he thought they have to attack each other and they're going to go, nye, 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 and they're going to turn people off. Meanwhile, I'm going to have the stage for myself. And guess what? Fox has three times, four times the audience of CNN. And I'm not going to be Trumpian. I'm going to be majestic. Sober, judicious. So what did Donald Trump did? He toned it down. Very quiet, logical, uh, you know, abortion. I, I, I don't know why, Ron DeSantis. And I think that, you know, a woman has to, it was very circumspect. And he was deliberately, not, there was no invective. It, there, he has a complete mastery of the issues after being president for four years. So it was a brilliant ploy on his part. Now, as far as the two I have been on record that um, I prefer Ron DeSantis to Nikki Haley. So I was prejudiced, biased, if you will. But I think it did follow the script of the DeSantis-Newsom debate. 
she's a Newsom-like figure in the sense that she's young, she's attractive, she's energetic, she's glib, she's rhetorical, she ha- she has the lines down. You know, she went out and said, you know, you can't even run your own campaign. You've gone through all this money. And and then, you know, she said, you know, you had an anti-Semite, you know, all this stuff. And uh, he just, duh, he put his little shield up and deflected it and gave a little repartee. And then as the two uh, the hours wore on, two hours, she ran out of her camp like Newsom did. They, ran, they have a, a limited repertoire. He doesn't. He's been governor in a very successful state. He's got a photographic memory. He has a mastery of the issues. And I think finally he just, da-da-da-da-da, I did this, da-da-da-da-da, no, da-da-da-da-da. And I think he just wore it down. Yeah. And he won. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if they he will ever, I don't know if that's going to translate into a better showing on Monday. His strategy has been very wise. He's He's canvassed the entire counties, all the counties of Iowa, and she's been concentrating on New Hampshire. He doesn't make mistakes, um, full pause like she does. He doesn't say, he wouldn't say slavery was not the issue of the Civil War. He would not say that he's going to New Hampshire to correct Iowa. He would not say that he has different person personas per audience. He's very disciplined. The, even the one full pause that everybody got on about Ukraine, when he said it was a territorial dispute, that was an arguable truth. It just didn't wasn't the entire truth. So I, I guess what I'm saying is it would be nice if he would debate Trump, or I should say Trump should debate him. Then you'd get two of the people who I think are the most conservative and the most likely to unify the party. Yeah. And I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's move on to some of the exciting scandals we have currently and just exciting, this week. Exciting, depressing. <laughs> and exciting and depressing at the same time. Um, so Fannie Willis is the um, prosecutor who is trying Trump in Georgia, and she apparently has hired her lover, Nathan Wade, as a prosecutor for a very high salary, <laughs> nearly $700,000. And so I was wondering your thoughts on this. There's two other things about it that he had um, conferences with the White House too for eight hours and with um, the January 6th committee so there's lots to this story uh, I would answer in the manner of juvenile quiz custodiate custodias <laughs> who's going to police the police and she from the very get-go she campaigned on the idea she was going to get Donald Trump and she took advantage of the fact that the governor, although he's a great governor and he's conservative, he's an anti-Trump person, perhaps for justifiable reasons. So there were fissures that she was able to tap and develop. And then this stuff came out. And now we learn all sorts of things. She is supposed to be an independent prosecutor. She's not a partisan, although she is a partisan. But she has to at least give us the semblance that she's not biased. And now we learn... She was dealing with Benny Thompson, the head of the January 6th commission. And by the way, all of, not all, but a lot of their records disappeared. They destroyed them after the January, because they knew that the Republicans were going to come in and they wanted to see what they were basing these allegations on. They don't exist anymore. The testimonies, the files, the recordings of, it, of witnesses, they're gone. 
And second, he's an election denialist. In 2004, he was one of those 32 House representatives, along with Barbara Boxer, the senator from my dear state, who voted not to certify the Ohio electors and to throw the election to basically to John Kerry. So why would you go consult with them to get tips on how to get Donald Trump when they're a partisan political committee of the Congress? And then we find out that this man is in a messy divorce, and lo and behold, his divorce records are sealed. But not until this Roman's lawyer, he's the principal litigant, she must be really, really good. If there's anything going to come out of it, Donald Trump should say, wait a minute, he's a subsidiary target, and his lawyer, unlike all my lawyers, broke the case so wide open. I want to hire him, her. He should. He should hire her right now to be a member of his legal team because she brilliantly got her hands on the sealed divorce. They were not sealed. Fannie Willis was too slow to hide her tracks, and he, she got information from his ex-wife or his then current wife about grounds uh, why he was culpable in the divorce. And then that, with other testimonies, brought out the truth that Fannie, I'll be very careful, Fannie Willis allegedly hired to be the highest paid legal person in Georgia last year someone she was sleeping with who was married to someone else at the time and in the middle of a messy divorce for whom she paid an extraordinary salary, A. B, he had never, never once tried a criminal case. He was a traffic judge and he was a personal injury lawyer, ambulance chaser. And yet she paid him $650,000. She authorized to be that he should be, again, the central figure in trying to prosecute the president of the United States for alleged election denialism or tampering or something. Yeah. He's never tried it. And then, adding insult to injury, we find out that they had gone on a Royal Caribbean cruise, another company cruise. They had been to Napa, the Caribbean, and she went she tagged along with this paramour that she had paid who was totally unqualified, and she was a beneficiary of that inflated salary. And then, obviously, he was inept to run the prosecution, so there are logs that he went and met with the White House counsel for six or seven hours. And this is in addition to the January 6th committee. So... Fannie Willis is a toxic person. And when you have a toxic person, everybody around is damaged by it. So she has damaged the reputation of the Attorney General's Office of Georgia, of the Fulton County Prosecutorial Office. She's damaged the White House. She's damaged the January 6th, such as it is, committee. And she... if. They can find a disinterested judge. They will throw this case out, not mm. just against Trump's subordinate, Mr. Roman, but the whole thing. Yeah. And this is important because when they were calibrating the four legal exposures that Donald Trump had, Letita James and Alvin Bragg in New York, 
and Jack Smith in Miami and Washington, i.e. Jack Smith was going after the papers, we remember, at the federal level, special counsel, and going after supposed insurrection in Washington, and Letitia James was going after real estate, and and everybody said it's bogus. However, not Victor, no, 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 I've had people telling me, the Georgia thing is real. He said, find me. Find me 15,000. He didn't say create them. He said they exist. I know they do. It's my hunch they exist. Can you find them? But nevertheless, they said that was the jewel in the crown of the Trump derangement syndrome people. And if this implodes, you'll see two things happen. The first thing, the left will say, oh, my God, we have to double down on the real estate. Letita James got to get that claim up from 250 to 300 million to 350. We got to do this. And the more that they do that, the more ridiculous. How can you put collateral on a loan you want to a bank and you say to the bank explicitly, these are my figures? Warning the bank that this is our impression because I'm Donald J. Trump and I have a cachet. And number two, the bank accepts those figures. The bank lends you the money. The bank charges profitable interest. And guess what? You make all your payments on the principal and the interest. And the bank not only makes a profit, they have no problem. They don't complain until she starts running for prosecutor. And she makes the claim she's going to get Donald Trump. And she looks around. I can't find anything. But, hey, look, let's look at his real estate. He always brags. And then when you look at Mar-a-Lago, and I say someone that drove by it just not too long ago, it's worth a billion bucks, I think. A lot of people think it is. He had it down for $17 million. It's just a joke. And then you look at Alvin Bragg. We're going back, what, nine years ago when Stormy and Donald Trump allegedly had a sexual congress. And then because he wants to protect his family and he may or may not be a serious candidate, he has a non-disclosure. And, of course, she violates that because she wants notoriety. And remember Michael Avenetti, her, the next president of the United States, according to CNN. Yes, I remember him. And then remember that he was ripping off his clients no, and he's, he now a in a, he's now in a prison <laughs> and he ripped off Stormy, too. He ripped yep. off Stormy. And then she, I mean, how much more... Ridiculous. And then she had a press conference and described in detail the genitalia of the president of the United States. Remember that? Okay. Well, he says all of that was a campaign finance violation. That's ridiculous. If you want to have a campaign finance violation, go back to 2016, since you're going back that date, and say it is a federal offense to hire a foreign national to work in your presidential campaign. And Hillary Clinton hired Christopher Steele, a British subject. Okay, so that that thing is bogus. And then you have Jack Smith trying to prosecute Donald Trump for taking out classified documents in an insecure, unsecure place. And we have Joe Biden as senator, as vice president, with no prerogative, unlike the president, to declassify classified files. And where does he put them in three, four different locations? He has more than Donald Trump. He's got him with his Corvette. And we have a special prosecutor that spent one-tenth of the amount of money of Jack Smith. So we put it all together. If this this big domino falls, I think Trump has a 50-50 chance of getting the rest. There'll be one juror, one yeah. or two jurors in these cases. And that's why they're looking for civil trials, because they don't need 12 unanimous votes to convict. Yeah. And they want to get him. They want to bankrupt. They want to ruin him psychologically, materially, physically. Everything, monetarily, financially. 
That's the whole purpose. And they want to tie. They don't care whether he's convicted. They just want to have him in court every day. And, you know, people have suggested if you know where Donald Trump is going to be in Atlanta, in New York, in Washington, and that's publicized on a given day. And he has to drive up there and get out of the car. And you know where he's going to be. And these are left wing crime ridden cities. It's not a safe thing. And they know that. They know that. Those so, reporters in front of the White House, was it? No, that it, were, was fr- they, it was in front oh, it was of in the, the courthouse. Court, yeah. In front of the courthouse. That they caught. Um, and they, these, they, they were no they were talk, They were trying to make a double entendre between getting a photo, quote unquote, shot and Donald Trump coming in an automobile and their frame of reference being left wing reporters was the bubble top limousine that JFK was in in Dallas on November 22nd. 1963, where they blew his brains out. And basically, they were laughing that Donald Trump, when he came up, he would be in a, I think the word was JFK-like environment, meaning he would be exposed to that shot. And although they were photographing him, they would not be assassins, but they they were trying to say they would have the same opportunity to get their shot, (laughs) ha-ha, as Lee Harvey Oswald did by implication. And of course, that's, who cares? I mean, that's we, we've said if you want to hold up a facsimile of Do- Donald Trump's head, fine. If you're Snoop Dogg and you want to go shoot at a target with his face, fine. If you say you want to blow up the White House like Madonna, if you want to decapitate him, as one person said, you want to stab him like the Royal uh, Shakespearean Festival people in New York. It's OK to say you want to kill Donald Trump any imaginable way, but not... You say that about Joe Biden, the FBI will show up at your doorstep. And that's what America's become. It's unrecognizable, the asymmetry. Yeah, you're reminding me of the interview Michelle Obama recently did with, um, oh, who was that guy's name? That blogger? um, Yeah. I never had heard of him before. Jay Shetty. The, the the Jay Shetty podcast, and she was complaining about how while she was in the White House with um, Barack that they othered the um, Obama family to make people afraid of us and that they she had suffered so much from this yeah, criticism. So and it's not even close to that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, as I said before, when Michelle was saying that, yeah. Did she arrive, did she fly in for the interview from her multi-million dollar mansion in Hawaii she just built, which is on the beach, according to Michelle and Barack, it's going to be inundated any day because of global warming. Or did she come from her Calorama and $8 million mansion? Or did she come from her, is it 20 acre estate on Martha's Vineyard? Multi-million dollar estate with what, 2,000 gallons of foul burning carbon spewing propane tanks? Or did she just have her nice digs in upscale Chicago? Yeah. So here, or did she come back from Berlin when she got twelve thousand dollars, five hundred a minute, for her seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar honorarium for one hour? When would she conveniently left out the word equity in her diversity, equity, inclusion speech? So here you have her, and she's like Talleyrand said of the Bourbons: they've learned nothing and they've forgotten nothing. She's right back into two thousand eight campaign mode when she said, oh, they always raise the bar. We try so hard. And then we have ballerina lessons and we have this and this, and they just keep raising the bar on us. They just keep. And then she said, I have never been proud of the United States until they nominated Barack. And then she said, 
it's a downright mean country. <laughs> and then suddenly David Oxolod said, okay, <laughs> she's going to go into the silent mode. And they just put her on ice. And, and then <laughs> I think it, our dear friend, and I know he was controversial and not like, but you know, he was a visitor out here at my farm, and I like Christopher Hitchens. And he he said this publicly, but he wrote me a note, and he said, you've got to read her thesis. And he sent me a copy. And he said, it's written in a language other than English. <laughs> and I think he said that publicly, too. <laughs> and I read it. And it was all about how the Princeton minority community have to forge alliances with alumni to create safe spaces from the endemic systematic racism. And you want to ask yourself about Michelle. Michelle, when people are applying for jobs and hiring, there is a phenomenon of faking your lineage. Is it a phenomenon or an epidemic during the racist 40s when Black people tried to pass for white for known advantages in a racist South? Or is it now, 65 years later, after the Civil Rights Movement, is it more common for white people, oh, take, for example, Elizabeth Warren, to fake a minority? And if that's true, why is that? If there's systematic racism, why are these so-called white people faking non-white identities, Ward, Churchill, Rachel, because there's perceived advantages. So quit whining all the time. And as far as what you said that she said she's afraid, what is she afraid of, you said? You said she's afraid that Donald Trump will take revenge? He said, I have, he said at the town hall, I have no time for retribution. <laughs> because he's not, he don't understand Trump. He, he talks a great game. But he didn't fire Comey. He didn't, he's not a vindictive person. He's a business person. Everything is negotiable with him. He didn't weaponize the, the DOJ. He, he had Jeff Sessions recuse himself and hand the whole Russian collusion farce over to the left. They, don't, they didn't do that. If you want to see people who really screw people over, Michelle, look at your husband. He had his attorney general for the first time refuse to go to Congress under subpoena. They arrested Steve Bannon. He said, I'm not going. They held him in contempt. Then he bragged that he was the president's wingman. He's supposed to be autonomous. Then they fired everybody in the DOJ that wasn't a Obamaite, that they could. And then he was sat in the Oval Office during the 2015-2016 campaign cycle when John Brennan, the CIA director, came in and said, Mr. President, I don't know where this collusion stuff's coming, but they're using it. And he let it go. He let the F he knew the FBI what was doing. He didn't care. He weaponized. And then, of course, who was that wonderful IRS person that decided that she, in the 2012 campaign, was going to, what, go out and go re-examine every applicant for, uh, what, nonprofit status, every and see if there was a link between subversive words in their applications, like liberty, freedom, 1776, and then deny them um, tax-free exempt status so that they wouldn't be able to mobilize and uh, hurt Barack Obama in 2012. Yeah. 
Well, Victor, let's go ahead and take a break. And you did mention something about contempt of court, I think you meant, but there was also contempt of Congress and and Hunter Biden. And so we're going to turn to that story after this break. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. We're back. So you mentioned contempt, and Hunter seems to manage to turn everything into a circus, but he showed up to his own contempt, the hearing on his contempt of Congress. What do you make of all that? Well, before I get to that, it's really insulting to have Joe Biden serially insidiously go around the country the last three and a half years and say, it's time to pay your fair share, fair share, fair share. And then get to get himself a check for thousands of dollars on the bottom that says loan repayment when there's no evidence that there was ever a loan. And then to have this miscreant son owe, right now as we're talking, $1.5 million and overdue IRS and then have pressure from the DOJ to get him off before the whistleblowing judge stopped it. I mean, where is Lois Lerner when you need her, right? We just referenced her, but I mean, Jesus. So he comes in and he's defied a subpoena because he doesn't want to testify, obviously. So he gets with his smart lawyer and his like, would you call it sugar friend or sugar bro or whatever? I don't know what he is. The guy who's paying all of his bills for a $20,000 a month Malibu apartment. So he, he comes up, hey, wouldn't this be a good idea that they're having a hearing on me holding me in contempt because I have refused to appear and they're scoring points against me because they, they went after Steve Bannon. Wall Street Journal said, Steve Bannon, you're, you should, you, we have no sympathy for you. You refused a congressional subpoena. Well, he's doing the same thing. And we know that Steve Bannon got convicted. I think it was of a felony. So Hunter didn't, doesn't know what to do. On Steve Bannon, didn't he actually go to jail as well? For I think a second? He, or well, he was pardoned uh, oh, okay. when the first by Donald Trump. But I think not all the charges were resolved when yeah. Trump left office. So he had legal exposure. I don't know if he actually went to prison or not. Yeah. I know he was detained. I know Peter Navarro had ankle bracelets put on him mm. and right and for defying a subpoena and got a felony indictment, I think. And Hunter, in contrast, has his security guards. Yes, but he provided. thought he thought, well, I'm not going to testify in private as everybody else does because they want they don't want circus atmospheres because I'm a circus. Look at my laptop. So that's what I do well. So I only do it in public. And they said, we're not going to give you special treatment. You're going to go in here and there's going to be no lights, no cameras. And you're, just going to, you're not going to be able to grimace and look at the cameras. 
So then he says, well, they're going to hear about that, about holding me in contempt. So I'll get my film crew that's writing, that's making a film with a great Hunter Biden and it's being paid for by this guy. And by the way, why isn't that a gift subject to the now $18,000 gift rule that he's getting all this money? Because just because he calls it a loan. But anyway, he thinks he's just going to crash in and show up. And he did. So he got his lawyer on one side, his philanthropist, filmmaker, whatever the guy's title is. And they just burst in and they just laugh it up. Ha, ha, ha. And, and here I am. And then it's all chore, uh, choreographed with the Democrats on the committee. And they said, well, he's here now. Why can we? Why don't we? And they said, no, he didn't show up when he was supposed to. We're not. And he's supposed to be in private. So sorry, we're not going to listen to him. And Representative Mays said he had no testicles. Yeah, know, she said that. I don't know what that. I didn't know balls. What was yeah, that? You don't have balls to testify, almost. But I don't think she quite said that. But it, well, that was the implication. So it was a zoo. Yes, was a, that's what he is. It's going to be a zoo. Yeah. And I was driving today, and unfortunately, I heard Jill, Doctor Jill, talk about it, and she said, "I'm not exaggerating. You don't understand how." It's so traumatic for the Biden, and we all just feel so terrible about what's happened to Hunter and when he was dealing with his addiction. No, he wasn't dealing just with his addiction to drugs, although he was addicted. He also drove over 100 miles an hour and put people in mortal danger. Nobody asked him to leave a crack pipe and a rental car. He endangered people at a school. He falsely applied and lied under oath to get a gun, a handgun, which was thrown into a dumpster next to a school, which anybody could have picked up again. And then he's on the laptop. And I've read the contents now of the laptop. And in on the laptop, there's everything in there. He's talking about his anger at his dad. Jill, Jill, he's mad at your husband. You know why? Because he says he sometimes he takes 50%. And you know what, Jill? He's mad at you, too. You know why? Because he has to pay your utility bills. Did you pay income tax on that? And then he's, in the past, reportedly said some derogatory things about Jill. And... He's talking to his sister about the types of women he wants to have sex with. And she sa- he says, no Asian. The Biden family is so ecumenical, but they're, every time they're in the public sphere or private sphere, they have a racist streak in them. You ain't black. Barack's the first clean black. Hey, boy. Hey, let me hear tell you about the corn pop story. No Asian. And then his sister, does she say, oh, my God, Hunter. That's so uncharacteristic of you. You're a Biden. Why would you discriminate about having sex with an Asian woman? She goes, yeah, I get it. I, I, yeah, no Asian, I promise. So their whole family is disreputable. They're, they're despicable. They really are, all of them. They're all phonies. They're crooks. Frank Biden, I mean, we've talked about this before with Jack. What is it about the Biden family? Is it so hard to ask of a prominent first family? Just say this. If... Senator Biden, Vice President Biden, can you just say in your family just three rules? If any of the Bidens have Secret Service, please do not pull off your Speedo and walk naked in front of a Secret Service female. Joe, please, 
if you're a Biden, do not take pictures of you frontally nude and they end up on gay porno sites. Frank Biden, brother. And please, if you're a Biden, do not hire prostitutes and then take pictures of you in full erection mode with these people and put them all over your laptop and then leave your laptop off at a place you don't even claim. Is that too hard for you three people not to do that? I mean, uh, this whole construct of the good Bidens from Scranton and they were just good. They were not nice people. They were vindictive. They were mean. They were plagiarizers. They were liars. And Hunter is not he's not a deviant. He's a representative of the values of that family. And, you know, the, the left has done so much damage by their hypocrisy. Women who said this? Remember this? I just came to me. Women must be believed. Her, the it's, Hawaiian Hirono. Yes. <laughs> women must be believed. And who said this? And I believe Tara Reid. I think it was Kamala Harris in the debate. Yeah. And she was digitally penetrated and all of a sudden just destroyed her. That was the end of the Me Too movement, by the way. Yeah. And then there was a woman in what, Las Vegas, that Hispanic woman that said that Joe Biden got a little bit too handsy with her. And then there were all the poor little victims, uh, and they were poor little victims of young underage women that he blew in their ear. What was the turkey gobble on the tarmac in Finland? About? <laughs> <laughs> I think that was Iceland, wasn't it? Iceland. Was it <laughs> he tried to grab, bite her neck all the way up to her ear or something. It was disgusting. We put up with all this. I don't care. I know somebody's going to think, this is very out of character. It is out of character of me, but I'm just sick of it. I'm sick of all these left-wing people lying about this family. Yeah. And then there's a Hunter can't go through this. They're just I heard this Jill Biden and they're just going, what do they think they did to Donald and Eric Trump? Donald Jr. They that alpha pang hoax. They they testified five hours to a committee. They didn't have any privilege. They didn't. They were not in contempt. They didn't ask for privileges. They didn't do anything. They just, they just went in there. and They hadn't done anything wrong. Yeah. And did anybody, did Jill say, oh, this is so terrible what we're doing to the Trump family? No. So it's just, I don't know, it's just a joke. The whole Biden family is dysfunctional. Yeah. I mean, they can't think about it. They write a, 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 the daughter writes a diary and she says basically that she was showering in puberty with her father. And what does she do? She leaves a diary and a rental. And then they call up the FBI to go, let's go get James O'Keefe. He might have it. We're the private retrieval service for this wayward family. And then the the brother, he leaves, what, one, two laptops at repair? And then we have the gun. Can't they just say, if you have an incriminating diary, incriminating laptop, and an incriminating gun that you got in law, please don't leave it in your apartment. Leave it at the computer store and leave it in a garbage bin. Is that too hard to ask from this family? I think it is. It is. <laughs> it is. Sad, as we should, as everybody probably understands. Well, I have a question. Um, I think my list, our listeners and uh, me are wondering, Lloyd Austin disappeared for 
four days or three days, January 1st through the 4th, and was in the ICU. And this is kind of scary because we have two aircraft carriers in the Mediterranean, I believe. We are taking down drones and missiles, so running military operations in the Red Sea and I, I believe in the Indian Ocean broadly. But And we have soldiers that are being fired on by Iranians. and, and 26 we, uh, installations, 130 times. Yeah, from scary. Iranian satellites. Plus, we have a ongoing supply pipeline to the Ukraine that demands constant monitoring. And it's, our head disappears for three days of all of yes. that. Yes. So here's my, let's just arbitrarily say, five takeaways, observations. Okay. Number one, if you have prostate cancer and you're 70 years old, and you need to have an operation to deal with it. I don't know whether that was the removal of the prostate gland. I don't know whether that was some type of insertion of uh, radioactive pebbles, so to speak. I don't know what the procedure was, but it is not minor elective surgery. That's how we were told. So apparently he thought, and this is number two, that he wouldn't be missed that nobody is in control in the Biden administration, that nobody knows what Alejandro Mayorkas is doing at any given day, that if Pete Buttigieg just wants to take paternity leave for, what, six months? I think it was six. Oh, really? Not two. <laughs> and, and I think it was six months. And during that time, we had, what, the East Palestine thing. We had train wrecks. We had aircraft uh, jams with a whole grid. And he just said, you know, I'm Pete Buttigieg. And so the point is that there's nobody in control. The White House, Joe Biden just say, oh, my God, is it Britain? Sam Britton is, is dressing as a woman and he's stealing luggage and he's the head of my nuclear waste program. Or where in the hell is Buttigieg? Get that SOB on the phone. We've got a whole grid. They don't do that. So he didn't say, where's Lloyd Austin? I haven't heard from him. From how many days? He had the problem. He went in. The problem was apparently solved. He went home. And then he got an enormous pain with a uh, urinary tract infection, I think. And then he had to go to the ICU, which suggests to me that there was some that the his the combination of the fact of the cancer, the combination of the treatment for the cancer, the combination of that he's overweight and the combination of being 70 years old, all four of those all four of those uh, factors together made it much more serious than he let on. That's number th three. And uh, as I said, nobody under, nobody's there, so nobody noticed it. Number four is that had it been any other Secretary of Defense, the left, New York Times, Washington Post would have asked for his resignation. He would have fought, been fired. Donald Rumsfeld had a shoulder operation, and because that involved general anesthesia, he had to tell everybody where he was, what was going to do, and the assistant, the deputy secretary of defense was there. In this case, he didn't even do that, and so the, the deputy secretary was on vacation, and the public PR spokesman had the flu. And speaking as someone who had acute COVID for eight days and long COVID, very severely for at least a year, and then another half year, I didn't miss a day at work. And the idea that if you have the flu, you can't get on the phone and talk to reporters is not. And then we get to five. I have empathy for him because I think he, I think he's inept. Uh, I think 
In 2014 to 2016, he was senior commander in Iraq, and he was the head then of CENTCOM as well in that 10-year period. And that was a period when ISIS got totally out of control. And so when Donald Trump inherited Lloyd Austin's legacy in Iraq, ISIS was in control of two-thirds of the country because Obama and Lloyd Allen had agreed, uh, Lloyd Austin had agreed not, not to attack or retaliate against ISIS. And Donald Trump said he was going to bomb the proverbial SHIT. He did so, and ISIS disappeared. And so, But I do have empathy for someone who has prostate cancer at that age with some compounding health issues. I think I know what he was thinking. He thought, you know, Joe Biden is not there. He's on vacation 30 days a week. 30% of his time, I'm just going to go in. They've told me that they insert maybe an isotope or something. I get a little catheter. I go home. I just sit in my bed. Nothing's wrong. I, I'm on the phone. Nobody knows where I am. And I'll just conduct people. I'll, I'll talk to reporters on the phone, and they won't even know I'm not in the Pentagon. And it would have worked. Apparently, 90% of these procedures, and they haven't told us exactly what the procedure was, for prostate cancers are event free. There's nothing wrong. But, but it, unfortunately for him, it wasn't true. So I, I do feel bad for him. He's not a t I don't agree with him. I think he's done a lot of damage. And as I said earlier in Iraq and his tenure now, I resent the fact that maybe you were going to discuss this, Sammy. I really resent the fact that in 2021, June, he and Admiral Gilday and Mark Milley performanced art Virtue signaled their outrage at so-called toxic white males and white supremacy and white rage before Congress and congressional testimony. Remember that? Yeah. And they promised that they were going to have a comprehensive investigation. <laughs> and they did have a comprehensive investigation. And we didn't hear a thing about it in 21. We didn't hear a thing about it in 22. And then right during the Christmas holidays when nobody was paying attention, and I think it was on a Friday, they meekly, timidly, softly release the investigation resort results. And guess what? There was no disproportionate presence, evidence, proof of any white supremacy movement or even sporadic uh, white hatred toward any other group in a way that would not reflect the general mood of the country. It was all a lie, all a lie. And was there any apologies? No, no. It was just like Janet Napolitano was Homeland Security during the Obama administration when she said that one of the chief threats was returning Iraqi war veterans that were prone to white supremacy terrorist acts. No evidence. But there is evidence in a way, Secretary Lloyd and Ms. General Milley and Admiral Gilday, your words, as Cornell West said, words matter. Your words did matter because you conveyed a contempt for a particular demographic who had died at double their numbers, as I keep pounding um, that point, in Iraq and Afghanistan. 72, 75% of the deaths, 35% of the population, A. And B, this was on top of, on top of the fact that you kicked out 8,400 seasoned military veterans out of the military, for, because they did not want to have the mRNA vaccination. And then you hinted, nod, suggested that these were anti-vax, white, nutty people. 
And many of them had had COVID and had natural herd immunity. And they were in better shape than a lot of people. They were healthy and we lost them for good. And now we're begging them to come back. And then finally, this was all part of the DEI, new promotions, uh, hiring, retention uh, methodology in the military. It was no longer going to be battlefield efficacy or readiness, but it was going to be your superficial appearance that would or would not ensure your promotion or your appointment. And how did that work out with a Chinese balloon or readiness for the Ukraine or Hamas invasions or the, I don't know, the Afghan pullout? You can have all the George Floyd flags, uh, murals. You can have all the pride flags flying from Kabul, but the Taliban don't give a crap. They really don't. Well, Victor, let's go ahead and um, take a break and then come back to talk a little bit about illegals taking over a school in Brooklyn while the students are required to go online, which everybody knows was a disaster during COVID for the K-12 education. So stay with us and we'll be right back. Welcome back. Um, so, Victor, they, they, we saw a lot of protests. I'm, I know it's not only in Brooklyn, but um, Brooklyn, Brooklyn school was the most visible because there was a lot of protesting parents outside that their children's school had been closed down and they had been relegated to online. I was wondering, you had any thoughts about the taking over of the school by illegals? Well, I thought it was so egregious that they would actually evict with almost no warning, just a day's warning. Everybody had to be out by five o'clock, students, faculty, administrators, clean out. And then they were going to turn over in the middle of winter their facilities to people who had entered the United States illegally and were residing illegally. And because they had done so, why would it not be preferable to get a fleet of, let's say, 50 Greyhound luxury accommodated Greyhound buses and say, you know what? It's very cold. We're very worried about you people. We're going to send you back to a warmer hemisphere and we're going to drive you back to Mexico and there are facilities in Mexico and you know how to get back home because you got here rather than treat Americans. It's a larger issue. You know, when I wrote The Dying Citizen, a couple of reviewers on the left basically said, well, you know, there's some things in here that we agree with, but... The idea that he makes the argument in some cases the erosion of citizenship has reached a point where illegal aliens have greater latitude than Americans. And they thought that was ridiculous. And I had said that, you know, if an American wants to cross into Mexico and then come back to the United States, sometimes you need a visa to get into Mexico or you need. But illegal aliens can go back and forth without worry. And if you're in the military, you might, when I wrote it, you said you needed a vaccination. But apparently, if you come to the United States from Mexico, you do not need a vaccination. And that was what I was meaning. And this is proof of the pudding when you're saying that a citizen has to vacate and have his canceled. Parents, ch children have no rights to continue in school. But illegal aliens do. They have a right to that building more than do Americans. They didn't pay taxes. They just got here. The taxpayers of Brooklyn built that school. They continue to make it possible to be open and functioning by their taxes. And suddenly you, they have no rights. You just give it over to these people. At some point, 
we're going from um, the ridiculous to the toxic. And at some point, people are going to collectively say, if this continues, the United States is not a sustainable country. I don't know where that point is, but it doesn't matter whether they even acknowledge it. It's just a fact. And I wrote a column about a culture and chaos this week on American Greatness. And I went through the, the law, the economy, the border. It's not sustainable. So, Sammy, what I mean is you cannot have a political, politically functioning constitutional republic when an opposition person of the opposition party decides without, without an indictment, without a conviction to just arbitrarily remove the leading presidential candidate from the ballot. You can, that won't work if, that, if that's institutionalized. And you can't have freelancing prosecutors all over the United States going after an ex-president and candidate on charges that, they, that everybody knows would never have been lodged if, A, Donald Trump had just said, I'm not going to run for office. Or had Donald Trump said, you know what? I was deluded. I'm a left-wing person now. The fact that he was conservative... And they hated him. And the fact he was running again explains all that. That's not sustainable. It's just not. Afghanistan is not sustainable. You do one of those humiliations every 50 years and you might get away with it. You do a humiliation like that, followed by telling the Russians that your reaction to an invasion, a probable invasion of Ukraine will depend on the magnitude of their invasion. You distance yourself from Israel and put a lot of daylight between you and Israel and Hamas senses that and then you start delisting the Houthis as a terrorist organization or you reach out to Iran and lift sanctions unilaterally or you tell Hamas they're going to get millions of dollars from the United and they're going to invade Israel and you let the Chinese send a spy balloon from Alaska all the way to the Atlantic Ocean through the continental United States and you don't do anything and then you lie about it you add all of that, that's not sustainable. And we're going to have a big war if that continues. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what to say. It's not sustainable. And I, I hope that people will recognize that fact. I did Mark Levin um, today, and one of the things that came up is, why does this generation feel entitled and special and exceptional when they've done so little? And... You look at San Francisco. I have a little game I play now in my mind when I watch a film of New York or Washington, D.C. Mr. Smith goes to Washington or I see, as I said before, vertigo in San Francisco or even in the 70s, you know, dirty. And I look at what those cities are now. It's civilizational regression. It really is. And... Um, when you think of this generation, it's so self-righteous and it goes back to the past and it judges all these dead people who are just memories are just stolen. And they, they, they deface their memories, too. That You remember the Hamas people just went down on Wilshire Boulevard, the National Cemetery in Los Angeles, a beautiful place. And they sprayed that awful graffiti over there, Free Palestine River, all that stuff. And you just keep doing that and you just think, who are these people? What have they done? Do they give us a great California high-speed rail? Do they have, is the wind and solar power grid the answer to the problems? Did we transcend race and now we really do look at the content of our character? Or we go pre-civilizational in a tribal fashion? Who, who, did our ancestors have all these people on the street defecating? Shigella outbreaks in Portland? 
So they have done so little, and yet they have such an inflated view of themselves. And they were so toxic and mean to the prior generations that gave them everything. Why do they think these people, why did they think there were 15,000 people at the border yesterday? Because it's a white, racist, horrible society, and yet they're not white. They're all people of so-called color, and yet they're dying to come in to a still white majority country, which is impossible, according to what we're told by DEI. But why are they coming in here? They're coming in here because somebody created a system that created security, prosperity, wealth, and opportunity, and freedom. And so it's just, it drives me nuts. I don't think people were machine gunned on Iwo Jima, or they were blown up at the Battle of the Bulge, or they were dismembered at Bella Wood, or they were decapitated by a cannonball at Chancellorsville for this. I really don't. They had a, a higher expectation of our generation. We really let them down. And I think I think people know it now. And there, I have some confidence because there's a lot of young people in various places. I don't know if you know that, Sammy, but every once in a while you see things like, I went down the Prager U people, and then I went and spoke to the Epoch Times people. And I was talking to Roger Kimball about what's going on in an encounter. There are people that are saying this is not sustainable, and they're coming out of the woodwork, and they're really doing a lot to stop it. And they have one thing on their side, a great advantage. They're speaking the truth. And the whole left-wing progressive woke DI project is based on lies that this is a toxic country, always was, that it's founded. It was founded in 1619, 1976, that everybody who's a white male enjoys white privilege. The whole thing that Whoopi Goldberg was always on, they want to kill all of us, you know, that kind of stuff. Michelle Obama, I'm very worried. So, you know, five officers were killed on January 6th. Officer Sicknick was murdered. All these lies, they just... Russian, the laptop is Russian disinformation, 51 intelligence authorities swear by it. Finally, people are just saying, this is not sustainable. We're not going to let you destroy the country, not without a fight. We're going to speak up. We're going to try to mobilize. Mm-hmm. And what they're really, I keep saying this, what they're really worried about is that Donald Trump or whoever the nominee, but it looks like it might be Donald Trump, that if he is elected and he wins the Senate and the House, he will do things in the first 120 days that will unravel the project, the progressive project. And, and that will be it. As he said the other day, I don't have time for retribution. But they say, ah, if the conservatives had done to us with all these lies and collusion and disinformation and impeachment, all of that stuff and all these indictments and trying to get us off the ballot. And we had won. I know what I do to those SOBs. And so they project their own value system onto the conservative. Yeah. And that terrifies them because they're morally bankrupt people. Yeah. Well, Victor, um, if we can turn just to the, our last topic here today, the airline, um, the United Airlines 1722 flight that dropped last year, a 1500 feet just after taking off and 1,500 feet, less than 800 feet from the ocean, um, and it recovered. But there currently, Matt Walsh has been talking about the education of the airline pilots, and I was wondering if you had some news on that. Yeah, they were, that, that was an interesting story. I looked at that, too. There was kind of a news blackout why a United jet taking off on Maui would drop 700 feet. 
and was on a trajectory to hit the ocean until it was corrected. And they said it was because of rainstorms. But I've been in storms where you could hardly see. I flew into Salt Lake City four or five times the last 20 years and almost zero visibility. And the pilot had no problem landing, right? I think I landed in Billings, Montana in a blizzard. So I landed in a places where there was zero visibility and fog. So there was something else going on. And now we start to get trickles of the... Uh, the news that was censored that whether it was a flight attendant or somebody was promoted and there were two people promoted so there was not an adult supposedly in the cockpit we don't know but you have to juxtapose that account to d the faa's brag that they are now going on dei woke uh hiring they're, they're having special programs to groom air traffic controllers outside of the traditional qualifications, which were things like being a military uh, veteran with air traffic uh, experience or a pilot or someone who had stellar uh, college records in engineering or aeronautics or mathematics, calculus. And now we're getting this DI. And then you have United's brag that 50% of all of their pilot trainees would be DI people. So you just don't make you just don't say these things. And then that's the end of the story that has ripples and the ripples will show up that and there's only everybody's listening. And they say, well, is it dangerous? I don't know the answer because of this. The planes are becoming more and more computer sophisticated. So the smartest people in the United States are creating avionics that allow these planes now almost to be A.I., and they can monitor every plane in the sky. But you talk to pilots and they'll say, no, 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 Victor, there's an element, a very key element of 10% that these things are not ironclad and you're gonna have to make some critical judgments. And more importantly, the more you become dependent on automatic systems, the less refined and honed your skills are that you're gonna need to override these systems like the 737 Max, remember the pilots, uh, Ethiopia was it? They crashed at two, come to Malaysia. And they were given a 737 that had a faulty uh, avionic system inherent in the plane, and they were told how to counteract that, and they turned it off, and then it crashed. Yeah. And so you need that experience. So I'm, I'm very worried about it, very worried that we don't. We've got to be meritocratic because it's not just, as I said, it's not just a matter of somebody in the English department. And remember this, if anybody's listening, just remember this rule that when you hire someone and you don't apply the criteria to that hire, that selection process, which you yourself or your organization or your university or your company said were essential for the operation of your institution, then that's the beginning. It's not the end of your problem. Yeah. If you're at Stanford University and you've said over decades or even half a century more that to be a professor of political science, a tenured professor, then you have to have at least a book that's been peer reviewed and well reviewed or you need 10 to 15. And you come in there with four articles and now we know maybe two of them at least were plagiarized and you give that person tenure. That's the beginning because then that person uses the tenure and goes to Harvard. And then they only write six or seven more and become a full professor of political science at Harvard. And they continue to plagiarize because they think they've been exempt 
from any scrutiny or audit. And then they become president. And then they find out they can't handle a job because they go before Congress and they either can't or won't suggest that they can do anything about anti-Semitic behavior or speech on their campus. And then they lie under oath and said that they can't because of the First Amendment or, or they can't do anything about hate speech when they expel and destroy people all the time for politically incorrect speech. And then, so what I'm getting at is don't hire somebody for reasons that you feel violate the standards that you said were essential to the operation of your organization. Or if you do, then you're going to have to keep making excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse. And finally, it's going to blow up in your face. Maybe not dramatically like this potential 700-foot drop in an airline that we don't have the exact information how that occurred. Matt Walsh in that article suggested that it it was because of DEI, lack of thorough training. But things like that will happen everywhere. And that, and I think people should understand that. Yeah. Especially in medical schools, because DEI is affecting medical admissions. Yeah. Well, DEI is doing a lot to make um, medical technology very, as you said, computer dependent. And so, yeah. And so not not relying so much on the human um, aspect anymore, which is some some of it, it has to be a good thing, you know, because sometimes a machine might be a lot better at at um, doing performing an operation and does most of it than the you know a a surgeon without any of that aid for the problem him, right? with all of this if you talk to seasoned pilots and I have they are uh, relieved and worried at the same time yeah. about the computerization of avionics and flying because they feel that in one way it's getting more s- safe it's safer but it the requisite for that is that they have to have people who can fly planes under any circumstances and then that makes their job easier but when you have somebody who doesn't have that experience and training and then you have them rely then you have something do you remember the flight that left south america for africa with the french Air France. Air France, 444, I think. I think it was. And the the seasoned pilot was asleep. Yeah. And the two young people were just dealing with the automatic, and they the plane started to lose power, and they kept gunning it because the wings got more and more ice. And he they woke him up, and then he looked at the situation in 20 seconds. He said, we're doomed. Yeah. Couldn't fix it. Because what they should have done was counterintuitive. They should have gone lower and lower as it was losing power. They should have righted the plane and gone lower and had the ice melt at a critical point so then they could get power and go back up again. Instead, the more that they strained the engines, the hot, the more the ice. I think it flipped on its back. Yeah. And the poor seasoned pilot said, oh, my God, we're dead. Yeah. Something to that effect on the on the recorder. Yeah, the, the pilots I believe were trying to get over a cloud they instead of going through it. They should have just gone into it. Yes, they should have. Again, that was a sign of a, a green pilots that were too dependent on automated systems, and yeah. you had the old guy there who could have told them because exactly. he sized up the situation immediately yeah. and he tried to correct it, but it was too late. Yeah. So that that's. You know, where that's where we're headed. That's I can see it in my own esoteric field. When you see more and more computerized text, with you get, go online to read uh, Aeschylus or something, and then there's all of the vocabulary right there, and you have 
uh, hyperlinks everywhere on the text, you know, and you just get dependent on that. Yeah. And you have this automatic, and you don't really get a feel how to read on your own or make decisions. And it really helps you if you know Greek and you went through the old system. Yeah. But if you don't, you don't know how to use the Liddell and Scott McKenzie, Jones McKenzie, LSJ McKenzie. You don't know how to do it. And you don't know how to use Smyce grammar or Leslie Threat's grammaratic and script. You don't have those tools and training, and you just think it's all going to be at your fingertips. You're not going to be able to ascertain evidence the way the old guys did. Yeah. Well, Victor, we're at the end of our show, and I just wanted to read one of the comments from your website on your article, Culture in Collapse, and it's by Miss Winters. And I I'm, I'm apologize to her, I won't read the whole thing, but I thought her characterization of the president was particularly interesting. She says, brilliant, total coverage of the Biden failure. Is, the pre- is he a president or a crook? How does he get away with never giving news conferences or facing any questions? I believe he is a lying, woke, freedom-hating old man who should be in a care home. And then I'm going to skip towards the end. <laughs> Biden is, is any true American's nightmare, praying we wake up soon from his disastrous borderline criminal leadership. <laughs> well, put it this You've way. inspired a lot in I'm people, s- Victor. I'm 70 years old. <laughs> And I try to do these by, I don't prep, I don't know what you're going to ask me. I just read. And so it's spontaneous. But my point is, if I was Joe Biden, this I couldn't do this. No. And if you, all of you are listening, if you're a farmer and you're on a tractor, and you're, if you were Joe Biden right now, would you be able to, to operate the tractor? If you were a welder, would you be able to do it? If you were a high school teacher and you were Joe Biden, would the principal come in and say, you're doing a great job? Or if you were a general, would they allow a... MacArthur was 75, but would you let somebody at his capacity run a huge army? Would you, would you do any of these? How about a surgeon? How about a lawyer? Would, you, would you, If you have a key case, an inheritance or tax case, would you have him as your lawyer? And the answer is no. So what we're saying is there's only one job that Joe Biden is, can do because it's not that important. And that's president of the United States. And that's a commentary yeah, on, that's what, what, on what we've become. Yeah, he should so not sad. be president. He's not able to do it. He's the only time, the only time that he becomes animated for brief periods and crystal clear and his eyes get sharp and he grimaces and you think he's going to go after Iran or he's going to tell Putin, you don't screw with us, or he's going to tell Hamas, your Amer- is when he goes with ultra mega semi-fascist January 6th insurrectionist that's the only thing that animates hatred for hatred for half his own people yeah he's really a bad person he really is and I'm not going to say any more because I'm not going to be inflammatory but he has done untold damage to this country far more than Barack Obama did yeah far more Well, Victor, that's the end of our um, podcast today. Thank you very much. And thanks to our listeners. Thank everybody for listening. This is Sammy Wink and Victor Davis Hansen, and we're signing off.